on uh, Thursday evening in a context that we have for readers across our area at Coventry. Uh, he reminded us that uh, we shouldn't just be a Sunday-centric church, but a Monday-centric. What he meant by that was that he doesn't stop at 12.30 this afternoon. Um, it actually fuels the rest of the week. And uh, I really do believe, um, if we can say this with humility, that we're part of such a church, um, that we we uh, we really do thank God for the opportunity of, being co of coming together. We shouldn't underestimate that. Uh, because some people try to operate in strength in terms of their life without coming to the source of strength. It doesn't work. And a source of strength is to be connected with the body. That's how it works. It'll never work just you doing it on your own. We're always stronger together. So when we come together on a Sunday, it's a testimony, it's a commitment, it's an intentionality of the fact that we need each other. We connect with the body. And God does things. But as we clearly have heard even again this morning, it never stops there. And that God is working and moving and pouring out of his spirit on all sorts of occasions. And we give thanks to the Lord for that. It's amazing how, uh, I don't know whether you've noticed the news, how often Food Bank is now coming to the fore in terms of national publicity. Even yesterday, it was on the news again. And uh, as we approach Christmas time, um, some of uh, uh, people recognising that uh, this is a real issue for many people across the nation. And so again, it's an expression prophetically of what God's doing to help people that are in need. You know, there are times when things go wrong in church and we don't do it deliberately. And sometimes it goes, it, it, but, but sometimes it just happens. And uh, uh, you may, those of you that are on Twitter may have noticed that it even happens for the greats because this week Pastor Bill Hybels, who's the leader of one of the biggest churches literally in the world, put a tweet on, uh, on, uh, on Twitter where he was rejoicing for Lamentations 3 that... Uh, Greater are the, uh, the, uh, the mercies of the Lord. They knew every morning. The only problem was it used to be a very early morning for him because instead of a new, he put few. And uh, <laughs> I, thank, I thank God the mercies of the Lord aren't few, but they knew every morning. He rectified it a little bit later on. And, uh, and uh, just smiling, you know, at the humanity in all of us. And God allows that time sometimes just to keep us rooted and grounded, although I'm not sure he needs too much of that. Uh, this morning, uh, <clears throat> Christians... We were just talking, and uh, we, we are approaching the, the, the Christmas season. Next, we want to address that specifically in terms of uh, just giving us a, a, a credible framework for what we believe at this time of the year. But uh, having sort of uh, enjoyed uh, just a great ministry last week, and on the back of us just enjoying a series together, just going to speak this morning for a little time on, on a word that is in the Bible, but sometimes it's misunderstood, misappropriated. I think it's very important, not just for a few people, but for all of us. It's that word, anointing. And so I'm going to read a, a verse from the Old Testament, very well known, and a couple of verses from the New Testament, again very well known, just to help us this morning and to have a few minutes just thinking about anointing. David writes in, in that famous psalm of Psalm 23, that's uh, uh, often a go-to for many people for all sorts of situations, said in Psalm 23 and verse 5, You anoint my heads with oil. You anoint my head with oil. And then in Luke chapter 4, Jesus at the beginning of his ministry in his hometown of Nazareth, in the place of worship in that context, culture and custom, the synagogue, stands before the people and rolls the scroll and begins to speak from the prophetic writings of Isaiah that would have been written several hundred years before and said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me. To proclaim the good news, he sent me to proclaim freedom, we sang it this morning, to the prisoners. The recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year 
of the Lord's favour. You anoint my head with oil. In fact, if Jesus needed anointing to begin his ministry, how much more the church? And for many uh, people that hold to a Pentecostal charismatic journey in terms of their faith, then this word would hold very dear to them. Uh, because it draws us to a recognition and a reliance upon the power of the Holy Spirit. I was uh, uh, laughing recently because uh, an Anglican uh, vicar friend of mine who uh, I've prayed with on many occasions and, and seen his journey actually is in the States at the moment for an extended break. And uh, that break's come about really courtesy of his son because about 18 months ago, his, one of his sons, he's got four was out in, in America for a time and he connected with a Pentecostal church. Bear in mind, he's got an Anglican dad and that's his journey. And uh, when he came back, Tim said to me, I said, how, how did your son get on in the States? He said, oh, I said, it was great. He says, he connected with a Pentecostal church. He really enjoyed it. And he said this, he says, Dad, but they talk about the anointing a lot. And uh, so uh, it was a church that believed in the anointing. And, uh, and uh, what is the anointing? It's, it's, it's clearly a word that's in the Bible. What is it? Well, here's two or three definitions to try and help you. And then we'll unpack a few verses from the Bible. But the truth is that we need to know that God has anointed our head with oil. We need to know that the Spirit of the Lord is upon us because he has anointed us to do the work of the ministry. So here's the first one. An anointing is an outflow of the Holy Spirit in our lives. An outflow of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Someone else says that anointing is an overflowing of God's divine life into a human life. It's been given, that's been given over to God. It enables us to carry and impart blessing to others. And finally, and I like this one, anointing is God's authorization on a Christian's life to do the works of the kingdom in the earth. In other words, friends, it's something of God on us, in us, and through us that touches others. You know, sometimes we perhaps sat in a meeting and thought, it used to be a phrase that used to be used a lot when more regularly people used to do soul ministry like John did this morning as he led us in communion and said, oh, there was an anointing on that. Or about the preacher, the preacher was anointed. What we were trying to say, what we were trying to say that something was on that person, in that person, and through that person that was conscious, that impacted us. That we carried and imparted the very, very life of Jesus. And of course, it's not just contained to church services. Here's the truth. That you can go into that cynical, skeptical workplace tomorrow. And you can carry something that's on you, in you, and through you that touches other people's lives. Anointing accentuates. It builds up the life of God in you. Not diminishing, but increasing. I had to write a piece for Re Magazine recently, and there's sort of sort of uh, questions that come into the desk about someone that was worried about losing the anointing. Well, here's the truth, friends. I believe that as we stay close to God, and in fact come closer to God, there's no need to fear losing it. It's not something that is diminishing, it's something that's increasing. Let me just say a few things about the anointing with regard to our type of uh, worship. Because anointing sometimes has been parodied. It's been held up for ridicule because sometimes people have uh, associated anointing simply with shouting. And the more I shout, the more anointed I am. It's nothing to do with it. 
And there are times, friends, when we need to raise our voice for emphasis. And there are times when the church needs to have a shout. See, some churches haven't had a shout for years. But the Bible says shouting to God with a voice of triumph. The reason they don't shout is because they don't know anything about triumph. And it's where we need to live. But that doesn't define it. It's not defined, friends, by shrill behavior, by exhibitionism, by people flaunting themselves. That's not anointing. We used to have this tradition sometimes in church uh, some years ago, uh, that if you put an A up on the end of everything that you said at, you were anointed at. You know, <laughs> and they didn't come from Italy. <laughs> That's not the anointing. What that's doing is pushing everybody back. And it becomes musical, friends, instead of the servants of God communicating the word of the Lord. But the reality is that sometimes, so the truth is that sometimes God comes to us in intensity and ministers to us. But the reality is that God doesn't want you to live intense 24-7. But he does want you to live with anointing. He wants you to live in the purposes of God that impact other people's lives. You anoint my head with oil. I bought some oil this morning and towards the end of the service we'll give time. If anybody would like simply to be anointed, then we'll do that. Here's the truth. It's not about the length of the prayer and there's clearly no magical qualities in the oil. It's about the response of the heart. If we bring a response of the heart to God, friends, then God's able to do something amazing in our lives. I sat in our living room this morning just preparing for the ministry, and you realise that the preparation of ministry begins way before 10.30 on a Sunday, if you're going to do it uh, sort of in a, in a sense that's appropriate with God. I just said, God, you've been so gracious, because the reality is without the anointing, without the life of God in us, over us and through us, this is just a complete waste of time. But you see, the, the, if I can use this word, the magic of ministry, the magic of church is that God comes by his spirit, uses ordinary people, and something gets communicated that changes our hearts forever. It's amazing. If you've never become a believer, you can begin in the anointing. This morning you can come to Jesus Christ and know the fullness of God of your life that touches people. If you've never come into a realization of all the riches that God has got for you, you can come into it this morning. As we've heard already, and we'll see in a moment, anointing sets people free. And across the life of Arena Church, we shouldn't be surprised there's a backlog at times for freedom. Yeah. Because the enemy realizes that if he can inhibit us and restrict us and limit us, then that's going to put a lid on the potential of God in our lives. And we need to see what it, what it is and press through into all that God has called us to be. So briefly, anointing this morning brings a number of things. Firstly, it brings a confirming of our call. Anointing brings a confirming of our call. In 1 Samuel 16, and I'm not going to go there for any length this morning, but we've got a beautiful picture of anointing. Let me take you there for a moment, because it's the house of Jesse in the city of Bethlehem, thousands of years ago. The nation is in some sense of, 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 of disharmony. Of this and uh, the reason for it was because leadership was going wrong. The people had pleaded for a king. God gave them what they wanted. King Saul came to the throne, to the throne started good, finished bad. And God doesn't want any of us to go that way. 
because he took it into himself that he was he was the one that was that was going to do what he wanted to do. And so we're in a season where God was looking for a new king. And he went to unlikely places. How many of you know that unlikely places attract the anointing? The insignificant people attract the anointing. The towns that are situated between two of the great cities of the East Midlands, Nottingham and Derby, attract the anointing. The places sometimes that other people snigger about, God loves to bring the anointing to. I'm talking about Elkiston. Yeah. I'm talking about Mansfield. I'm talking about places, friends, that historically sometimes have had checkered pass. They've been impacted by the demise of heavy industry. Where people would say there was no future for those communities, God comes to those places. So I want to pour some oil on it and do something that only I could get the glory from. And so he comes to this place, and some of you know the story very well, because Samuel the prophet says, God sent me here, and he sent me here to anoint the new king of Israel. And so Jesse said, well, this is fantastic. And he brought out his trophy sons. He brought out Eliab, Abinadab, and Shama, one, two, three. And the Bible tells us they were strong of the sea, broad-shouldered, tall, seemed absolutely fit for the bill, and God says, no, no, no. And seven times this happened, and those of you that tried sometimes operating prophetic ministry will know the panic when sometimes you've walked something out there and it seems as though nothing's coming back. And the question is, have I heard from God properly? And so Samuel, almost with a desperate plea, said to Jesse, is there any other sons? <laughs> Expecting a no. And, and Jesse said, well, there's David. He's the youngest. He's in the fields tending the sheep. The literal language of the Old Testament friends was not just talking about his age in terms of being youngest, but he also described him as the, as the least. In other words, he wasn't even worthy to be brought to the beauty parade because there was no way that this guy was going to be the king. And the Bible tells us, there's that lovely phrase in some of the older translations, that David came to the room, he had a ruddy complexion. It's not a rude word, it's just that he had... Bright red cheeks. He was a teenager that enjoyed the fresh air. He'd already fought the lion and the bear and all that anybody knew about him. And there was a preparedness in his heart for what God was doing. And the Spirit of God came to Samuel and says, this is the, this is the person. And he, in verse 13, he says that Samuel, in great symbolism, took oil and poured it over David's head. And says that you're to be anointed as the king of the nation. Now, there was a process in all of that, and sometimes there is in all of those things. But God was working in an amazing way. It says, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the oil of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Friends, anointing confirms our call. You may say, well, there's no way I'm ever going to be a king or somebody significant, but the Bible describes you and I as kings and priests to our God. It describes us in 1 Peter 2.9 that we've been called a royal priest to the holy nation, to people belonging to the Lord. In fact, the, the rich, the, one of the other translations again describes there in that little description a peculiar people, not peculiar weird, but special to the Lord. And I want to tell you, friends, that we need to continually dismantle this argument that somehow you're part of the body, but you're not needed. That somehow everybody else is special, but you're not. That somehow everybody else carries importance, but you don't. Because you are precious to God. And it may be that you will never be called vocationally to give up your job and to go and serve the Lord in ministry. 
It may be that you will never go to another nation to serve the Lord. And I understand the power of that and the need of it. But here's the truth. In your particular workplace, in your place of study, in your school, in you doing the school running, living in your street, you are living, without question, with a call. Absolutely, unquestionably living with a call. You are connecting with people. You are carrying something of Jesus. You are touching people that nobody else will touch. You are ministering. You are showing. You are delivering the kingdom. Sometimes without even you realizing the power of what goes through you. And it's a call. And friends, we need to rise increasingly to see that everybody in the church is called to live out a call. Too often, friends, we've said, well, he's been to Bible college, he's been to theological school, he stands at the front, he's good at preaching, so he can do all the work. We are never going to touch the nations of the earth if we leave it just to a few. The reality is that those gifts are given to the church to empower all of the church to do the work of the called ministry for the glory of God and for the praise of his name. And I suggest this morning that even in this church, you need to nail it. Once and for all, there is a call over your life. You're special to God. You've got something uniquely to contribute to the purposes of the kingdom of God for such a time as this. And God says that if you believe it, I'll pour oil over your life so that the confirming of that call will be to all who come into your path. There is a purpose and there's a destiny. That the Spirit of God wants to confirm and bring to everybody this morning. If you'll step into it by faith, you'll know it. Oil not only com- brings a confirming about our call, but it brings an empowering to serve. Because if I can go to Luke 14 for a moment, uh, Luke 4 rather for a moment, you'll see there that, that um, Jesus uh, cried out to God, declared the word of the Lord, and said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I believe that this is not only a prophetic verse over Jesus, but it's a prophetic verse to the church. Because Jesus says, when he went back to, to heaven, 40 days after his resurrection, he said, I'm leaving the Holy Spirit. And one of the, one of the simple pictures of the Holy Spirit in the Bible is oil. I'm leaving the Holy Spirit so that you can do the work, my works in the earth. In other words, we become the mission of Jesus. We become his hands and his feet. We carry his servant heart. We are Jesus in the earth. That's what the the church is called to be. And this Christmas season, there's a a, a word that, a a theological word that people sometimes will try and wrap their heads around, which is called incarnation. It simply means this. It simply means that the miracle of Christmas is that God, almighty, or powerful, omnipotent, all-knowing God, came in flesh as a babe. In humility, into the earth, to connect with the earth and to give us a hope and a future. That is the incarnate God. That is the message of Christmas. And here's a buzz phrase that's moving around the church in these days. That every prevailing advancing local church needs to engage itself in incarnational ministry. What does that mean? It means, friends, that we actually reflect the very nature and life of Jesus in the society where God has placed us. And I believe that what Jesus carried there, the church needs to carry now. Let me just briefly run through it. We are anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. And we need to do this with words, but we also need to do it with works. One great leader of the past says, preach the gospel, and if you must, 
use words. And I believe in the power of words, and I believe in the power of ministry, but I don't just leave it there. Words and works must work together. And proclaiming the good news to the poor, literally the poor, friends, let's not over-spiritualize it, literally to the poor, and Jesus says you will always have the poor with you, literally to people on the doorstep of our church, that if it wasn't for arena, would go hungry, literally the kids that have been out, older people, people that are desperate, people that are going through crisis seasons of their life. The Bible says that we have an anointing to preach the gospel to the poor. And I want that oil, and I know Christians just to flow more and more, to speak freedom to those that are in prisons. You may say, well, I don't see lots of prisoners around us. I see them all the time, friends. I see them across at the supermarket. I see them on Bass Street. If you walk around with your eyes open, there are prisoners all over the place. I see people imprisoned by their mindsets, by their behavioural patterns, by poor habitual issues that they've allowed to come into their life. Totally imprisoned by them. And the Spirit of the Lord coming upon us to set the captives free, to bring sight to the blind, to cause people to live with a vision. Helen Keller was an amazing writer of poetry, and some of you may have read uh, some of her great writings. She was blind, but she loved her God. And somebody said to her, can you think of a greater tragedy than being blind? She said, yes, is to have sight, but to live with no vision. Yeah. And friends, they're all over the place. You've got the people on our streets saying, so what do you think's lined up for 2013? And you, you see whether people are living with vision or not, but the Spirit of the Lord upon us begins to give sight to the blind. For people who begin to see something in them, over them, and through them that they've never, ever seen before. It's not about just being clever. It's not just about doing this and doing that. It's about the oil of the Spirit that makes all of the difference. The anointing sets the oppressed free. We've got people around our church that are passionate about developing focus groups and connection groups that will continually minister to people that are free. We've got young women and young men, even in our nation today, friends, that are literally bound up because they've been exploited by others that are wicked in intent to make a profit for them. And we need to declare the gospel of Jesus. He's come to set every person free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. You may remember... As we celebrated our wonderful Queen's Jubilee year this year, that in June we did a message on Jubilee. And uh, somebody said to me recently, I didn't get it when you spoke it, but I've lived in the blessings since. Well, that's okay. As long as they got it eventually. But Jubilee speaks of rest, it speaks of release, it speaks of restoration. And that's the Church of Jesus Christ, friends, that stands on a Sunday and declares the the word of God, that ministers day in, day out, proclaiming the good news to the poor, speaking words of freedom, giving people a vision of their life, setting those that are bound free, and saying that this can be a time of release for you. What a challenge, and we need it to be oil-fueled. Thirdly, the anointing not only brings a, an a, not only brings a confirming of our call and an empowering to serve, but it also, thirdly, brings us to a place of discerning the truth. I don't have time to develop this this morning, but in 1 John chapter 2, there's a passage there about the anointing that's very interesting. And if you'll read those five little chapters at the end of the Bible in 1 John, I'm sure you'll be blessed by them. You need to know that they were written to a backcloth of error. And the error was this, 
that people over-spiritualize certain things and over-licensed others. In other words, what they said they believed didn't match with their behavior. And friends, if I can put it as bluntly as this, that is hypocrisy. Because the reality is that what we say we believe must work out in what we do. And here in this passage, as John writes to the people to encourage them, he says to them that you have an anointing. Now let me take you two years ago, early in ministry, where I was at, we, 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 we share when we were in ministry in Oxford. For the sake of the tape, I won't give a full name, but you know, there are people in church at times, let's put it as charitably as this, that, that, that can be less than helpful. Do, do you get it? And uh, so there was a guy in the church called George. You know what I'm talking about? Less than helpful. In fact, now I better not go there. But he, he, even when he was very ill, he was less than helpful. He said to me once, it's all right, you get up at the front of the church, but my Bible tells me we don't need teachers in the church. I said, really? Yeah, he says, listen to this. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. Now, when, I went on for that verse, is absolutely right. He's probably right. What if I'm wasting my time getting up? We don't need teachers in the church. But you know, sometimes where people can seem to say something spiritual, but it's utterly carnal, it has an impact on your heart. Well, he didn't mean what he wanted to see because the reality was that his problem was that he was totally unsubmissive to anything in the church. Any leadership, any authority, any teaching. That's why it was unhelpful. And he found the proof verse and said, I don't care a rip what you say, because we don't need you anymore. I'm just listening to God. No, what that verse is saying, friends, lest you want to use it for your own ends as well, is that it's not a contradiction on the, the, the writings of Ephesians 4, for instance, where God says he's given pastors and teachers to the church. What he's saying is that when the anointing when that from God is on you, in you, and through you is evident, you don't need anyone else but the anointing to tell you what is truth and what is error. I wonder if you've been in church sometimes and you said to somebody afterwards, that didn't seem right. That, that person's spirit was, was the anointing. It was the anointing. Now, we're not about being judgmental and hypercritical and did somebody get... You know, every Bible verse right, or misquote Lamentations 3. You know, we're not saying that. But sometimes you're just sensing. And the anointing is there, friends. Nobody can teach you that. It's the anointing in you that gives you an ability to discern the truth. Here's the truth of 1 John. We are called to walk in the light, we are called to walk in love, but we are also called to walk in truth. I get people saying to me today, truth doesn't matter anymore. Truth relative. Truth what you make it to be. Truth what you sort of decide it is. No, it's not. No, it's not. And friends, that's why we've got such a shambles in terms of a cohesive society. Because everybody's making it up as they go along. You shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. It's not, a, it's not something that binds, it's something that liberates. It's not something that's called to make you miserable, but something that's called to make you glad. It's not something, friends, that restricts, it's something that releases you into the purposes of God. And there's an anointing in you that helps you discern the truth of the Lord. It took me longer than what I've just done there to work that through, but I got free. 
There'll be accusation, but we didn't need teachers in the church anymore. And fourthly, friends, anointing brings an enabling to shine. You see, in the Old Testament, oil was used for many purposes. It was used for food preparation, for fuel, for medicine, for, clean, for cleaning. But one of the primary uses of oil in the Old Testament, bear in mind they have electricity and power gen and all those sorts of things, it was used for light. And the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, there's a wonderful verse there in one of my favourite New Testament books, if I'm allowed to have a favourite. It says these words, it says, Then you will shine among them. Among who? Among the world, friends. Among the world who's thinking that Christmas, the only reason for Christmas is so I can get hammered more often than what I usually do. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. As you hold firmly to the word of life. And Eugene Peterson puts it like this. Carry the light-giving message into the night. Friends, if we're going to do it, we need a will. We need an anointing. We were talking in Mansfield just a week or two ago about light bringing illumination. And it brings an imposition in the right positive sense of that word because it becomes like a city on a hill that cannot be hit. Friends, if people would like to eradicate Arena Church from Ilkeston, let's not let them. <coughs> let's continue to be a city on a hill that cannot be hit. Let's keep illuminating this community. Let's, if I can put it this way, keep imposing the kingdom of light onto the kingdom of darkness. So that more and more people might come to a place of knowing Jesus as their saviour. I close with a reference back to Exodus chapter 30. And I'm going to read a few verses from Exodus 30, just to close off. Bear in mind the context here was religious worship. There was a tabernacle. It was basically a tent that became a centre of worship in a particular time for the people. I don't want to stretch the meanings, but there's clearly some truths that can help us in terms of our modern day context. One of those truths is we don't have to build a tent. It's gone. It's a, it's a shadow of the things that were fulfilled in Jesus. But here's what it says in verse 22 of Exodus uh, 30. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Take the following, find spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much, 250 of fragrant cinnamon, 250 shekels of fragrant calamus, 500 shekels of cassia, all according to the sanctuary shekel, and a hill of olive oil. Make these into a sacred anointing oil, a fragrant blend, the work of a perfume. <coughs> It will be a sacred anointing oil. Then use it to anoint the tent, the Ark of the Covenant, the table, and all the articles, the lampstand, the accessories, and the altar of incense. The altar of burnt offerings, the utensils, and the basin. Wow, there's some oil for it. You shall consecrate them so that they will be most holy, and whatever touches them will be holy. Anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them so that they may serve me as priests. Now, friends, what was declaring the tangible in the Old Testament? As a powerful application to us in the spiritual, in the new. So we don't have to get taken up with burnt offerings and utensils and basins and lampstands. But here's the truth. As the oil needed to be poured upon those things for a purpose then. So the oil needs to be poured upon people. Which is what we come through the cross to be. The church of Jesus Christ in this day. And so he gave them the ingredients for the anointing oil. Olive oil and four spices. Here they are. Myrrh. Myrrh. Gold frankincense and myrrh. So that one will be in the consciousness over the next few years. But myrrh have medicinal qualities. 
In other words, it, it brings healing and it kills pain. And I'm not just talking about physical pain. Pain of rejection, be gone. Pain of unforgiveness, be gone. Pain of failure, be gone. Pain of inferiority, be gone. In other words, those internal pains that diminish us from being what God has called us to be, they need to be gone in Jesus' name, and they come about when we receive the anointing. What about cinnamon? Well, cinnamon symbolizes zeal and love. Jesus said in John 2, that the zeal of your house has consumed me. I wonder if it's consumed you. I wonder if it's consumed you. I get people sometimes say to me, why do you get so worked up about the church? Because the zeal of his house has consumed me. In everything I do, friends, that's what defines me. God loves the church and he gave himself for it. And I have the privilege of partnering with these days to see the church growing these days. The church where I dwell, the church where I work out of, the church where I have the privilege of ministry, and the church widened. That's why, because the zeal of his house has consumed me. Why? Because there's oil flowing. That's what anointing does. And then Calamus. Calamus speaks of fragrance. And uh, he says of the disciples' friends in Acts chapter 4, when they were operating in signs and wonders, it was noted that these people have been with Jesus. There's going to be lots of smelly things that are bought over the next few weeks. Some of them wanted and some of them parked on a shelf for the next 12 months. We get it. But... but <coughs> But the reality is, friends, if I could put it bluntly this morning, if you want to smell nice 24-7, if you want to take a fragrance into a room, if you want to leave people saying, oh, I'm talking metaphorically, of course, that it simply comes about by being with Jesus. Because if you'll spend some time with Jesus, guess what? Oil will flow. Oil will flow. You don't even need to say anything at times. You'll just leave a fragrance that will impact people forever. Fourthly, Cassian. Cassian speaks of worship and submission. And the Bible says in Romans 12 that he wants us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is our spiritual act of worship. One of the great Pentecostal leaders of another era that still writes well today, John Lancaster says, the church needs to be filled with the Spirit of God, manifesting the gifts of the Spirit, displaying the fruit of the Spirit, witnessing to the power of the Spirit, and knowing the anointing of the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit in the church. Friends, if we'll come again to receive of the anointing. We may not talk about it a lot, but I tell you, we need it a lot. We need it a lot. It will cause us to know a confirming of our core, an empowering to serve, discerning of truth, and an enabling to shine. You're anointed. My head.